listening to Racism is Profitable, a podcast by and for people of color that aims to dismantle the assumptions that fuel the oppression economy. Your hosts are Jeremy Greer and Solana Rice, the co-founders and co-executive directors of Liberation and Generation Action. Let's get it. Today on Racism is Profitable, we're going to talk about the fact that when it comes to money and paying for nice things in this country, scarcity is used as a racist lie. Yes, we should tax billionaires out of existence, but our government can afford nice things anyway. And by nice things, we mean taking care of people of color and consistently investing in our communities. Two years into the COVID recession and Congress is still squabbling over how much they're willing to spend to keep people safe, housed, and fed. We're not here today to get technical about monetary policy. We want to dig into the role of money and how it's distributed. At the end of the day, it's our money, the people's money, to spend. The only thing we can't afford is more oppression. Damon Drummer of PolicyLink joins us to call out this lie and name our truths. This chart showing debt is not just about the big number. It's not just about the $30 trillion of debt. This is about tyranny. History is screaming this warning at us. Countries that bankrupt themselves and destroy their economies simply aren't around very long. There will be a day of reckoning, a debt crisis, and it won't be pretty. Deficits do matter. How long do you think your family would last if every month you spent more and more on the credit card and made the minimum payment? You follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers, but you start to follow the money and you don't know where the fuck it's going to take you. I mean, the the things that I've been thinking about is the way that we talk about the economy as if, and what we can spend as if the government is a household. And before even going into that, I mean, I think it's so important to like just talk about our own upbringings with and our relationship with money right like in my household money was a scarce thing money was really important you guard it like my my dad taught me how to count by going to the store and being like okay this is 30 percent off how much is it how much is it really <laughs> right it was like we counted all the pennies we counted all i used to roll my quarters yes we used to like have little quarter things we used to roll them up it was a it was a big deal uh in my household so yeah of course i thought like that's how everything runs like you can't run anything without having the money yo the shame the shame around spending money tyranny bankruptcy destroy <laughs> day of reckoning crisis right like the 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 mind fuck around like the shaming of spending money as if like money is something that is supposed to be like squirreled away in some dark corner and never to be spent like and i know where i you know in the home that i grew up in that stuff resonated because yo you don't borrow money you don't have, right? Like you don't you don't borrow money from someone unless you know exactly how you're going to pay that person back, right? And like this is why this stuff is so resonant. And because people have this relationship with money, they also don't want to talk about it. They don't want to want to deal with it. So it's not crazy that this stuff like resonates with people. And that's the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you're 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 you talked about your family scarcity about not having money in the home. And that's real. This is like made up shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're acting like they're they're acting like the U.S. government is smoky and big worms coming to get his money back. <laughs> like, Nobody's this, coming to get it. Right. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> right. Like. Like they are like 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 they're just like the government is like gonna gotta run and duck from the loan sharks because the debt collector's coming. You know? Right. So which right. is the reason why we can't spend the money on the things that we need. And then that's yeah. where the racism is profitable because the people that aren't gonna get the money are gonna be that's black right. and brown folks. Right. 
Right, right. What they're really saying is that we don't have enough in this country to really take care of everybody. Like, we just have to make sacrifices. And we know that when we make sacrifices, that Mm -hmm. it means that black and brown people and people of color are getting the short end of the deal. When in reality... And, you know, there are a lot of folks that write books about this and who study this uh, on a regular. In reality, the money is there because we are a nation (laughs) that does not actually depend on other nations for creating our our sovereignty (laughs) and our money. Right. We are a nation that can not only afford things, but we can invest our money uh, into everyone. Everyone can be fed. Everyone can have a job. Um, everyone can go to college if you want to go to college, right? It, this is not uh, this is not a reality, but but it is so attractive because it maintains uh, a myth. It maintains a, right. an easy story, right. an easy story in our head. Um, but the the story of like what money is in this country isn't actually that easy, and it's not even like we just print it. It's even like it's no, actually they just create just it. Picks, yeah, you just no. create it. Like it's just it's like points on a scoreboard, as some as some points as some folks said. You don't you don't make the points. Like they just appear. Right, <laughs> they're pixels. Yeah, I mean, I think back to like what it is just in my lifetime. You know, uh, I've. Since I've been alive, this country has fought three wars. Three wars. Yeah. One of them was like 20 years, a 20-year war. And no one ever asked, how are we going to pay for that war? How how are we going to, what are we going to do? But all through my life, if if, if black folks ask for more health care, black folks ask for for clean and safe housing. Yeah. Black folks ask for a bus to come in front of their house and pick them up to go to work. We ain't got the money. So it seems like it's only scarcity. There's only no money available when black folks ask for it. But when folks are asking for it to go blow up other countries or to bail out banks, the money materializes. It appears. It's created. And it is given to the people that hoard it and hold it and don't share it with the rest of us. But you said it at the beginning, like, shouldn't we be really afraid of spending things that we like spending money we don't have? Like, what about the debt? What about our national debt? Are we just like, is this like climate change and we're just like pushing it off to our kids like are they just gonna owe china and just like be part of china <laughs> have to owe china like i, I yeah i that's what that's what we need to ask tomorrow because i don't yeah. i don't know <laughs> i don't know because i've been getting that you have all our lives and smart people tell me we should worry about it other smart people tell me we shouldn't and, you know, I've just gotten to the point of like, I'm going to ask the people that I trust because this is just because it doesn't make any kind of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the point is that we deserve that black and brown people, we deserve these basic rights and needs and life necessities. Right. Like right. Uh, we have done this in the past where we support white folks in building wealth and uh, making sure that they have housing and education and we can do it for everybody in this nation it's really it really is possible but it's just by design that we're not that we're not making these decisions yeah and that's where that wire thing comes in maybe that's how we figure out we're gonna follow the fucking money (laughs) (laughs) that's right Uh For this episode of Racism is Profitable, Uh our friend Damon Drummer is here. He's the managing director of the Equitable Economy at PolicyLink, but we all know him as a thoughtful organizer, a strategic ass problem solver, and some say a funny dude. You can decide. What's up, Damon? 
how are you? I, what was that? Some say a funny dude. You know, we all got to decide. I'm let folks decide for themselves. If they, if they find you funny or not. Jury's you know? still out. Jury's still out tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, we, got a, we got a tough audience. Thanks, man. But thanks for, thanks for joining us. And, you know, we're talking about money today. Yeah. Um, and I'd love if we could start just talk about just learn a little bit about you, but also about like where did you first kind of start to think about like this question of like what the what is money? Right, like when you when you bang your head on the wall of a problem for long enough, uh, you got to wonder if you're <laughs> looking at it the right way and if there's a different way to to come at this uh, problem. And so my my background, the way I came to all this stuff, uh, I. I guess got turned on to organizing when I moved, actually not even when I moved to Chicago, like very early on, I was at Morehouse College studying mm. economics, mm. thought I was going to learn how to fix the economy because I grew up in a household uh, that was a military family. So we had free healthcare, uh, the housing was provided by the military. And if you lived off base, uh, my father got a housing allowance. Mm. So, you know, it was just a classic, uh, I guess, uh, standard American middle-class kind of standard of living, right? Then my parents split up and there was this huge healthcare disparity in our own household where my brother and I, I'm a twin, uh, we had free medicine, free healthcare, and my mother who actually had the job and worked full-time could not afford healthcare and could not afford her Mm -hmm. medicine. Mm -hmm. So I started putting two and two together and uh, decided that I needed to study economics at Morehouse College because I was going to fix this situation where, you know, people can work full time and not afford medicine and, and basic health care uh, to say nothing for all the other things that people can't afford when working full time in this country. And so I studied uh, economics at Morehouse College. Um, and this is a whole backstory. And I won't throw Morehouse under the bus. I love Morehouse College, but the econ department was teaching us. Uh, the kind of standard neoclassical version of economics. Uh, where It was like bougie black economics. Like, <laughs> we'd be a real, right? Maybe, maybe I came in with higher expectations, right? No. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay. but, but to be clear, it ain't just bougie black economics. It's just like what is taught <laughs> in every economics department, right? right, right Save right. for a few, like UMass Amherst, et cetera. Uh, um, and uh, you know, the new school, uh, I think University of Missouri, uh, Kansas City. You know, there's a few... Um, departments in the country, very few who kind of see the bigger picture uh, and are teaching, I would argue, the most accurate picture of economics, right? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I'm learning this this mode of economic analysis that wasn't explaining anything that I had grown up with, or even the Western of Atlanta, where Morehouse is like smack dab in the middle of the whole AUC, the Atlanta University Center, Clark Atlanta, Morris Brown, Spelman, Morehouse, um, and and, and Morehouse School of Medicine, et cetera are smack dab in the middle of the hood, the West End. And I'm in that urban economics class. And what I'm learning in this textbook <laughs> is not explaining the phenomenon around me, right? Because right. I lived off campus at that time. Um, I don't know how I got out that class. I mean, I learned how to be real duplicitous. You know, you got to know what the right answer is on paper. And it's like, this ain't the right answer, right? Um, right. But um, uh, got way too good at that. But, but... Um, like, so after studying that, getting into organizing at Morehouse, you know, doing a lot of voter registration drives and really just trying to make sense of the world. Uh, by the time I'm a senior, all I have is like a a longer list of questions. Uh (laughs) And I concluded Mm -hmm. that, okay, everything I've learned so far tells me that we have more than enough in our society for everybody to have what they need to live a good life. Uh And it was a question of how this more than enough was being inequitably allocated throughout our society. And so instead of continuing economics, because I had kind of concluded that economics was bankrupt (laughs) uh, as a discipline and could not explain much of anything that I needed to have answered, I studied religion and public life at the University of Chicago, which is ironic, right? Uh, Because the University of Chicago is where the Milton Friedman neoliberal kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of worldview came into existence and was popularized, right? And so I was studying religion at the University of Chicago and uh, began to really learn about like how to study systems of belief uh, rigorously with like a clear method and came to see religion as a way that we tell stories about where we've been, Mm. how did we get here, uh, who we are and what do we have to hope for. Right. 
And so in many ways, economics has answers to all those questions. <laughs> so I began to see economics as a belief system and, mm. um, you know, stayed in organizing, did some work in Chicago, eventually joined the Obama campaign because, you know, we thought that would end, um, you know, um, privatized health care as we know it. But Hope. that's... How many podcasts? Can we do like eight episodes? But anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, long story short, you know, got came back to Chicago, did more organizing in Chicago and found myself in the nonprofit industrial complex of community development where mm. funders mm. throw money at you to solve America. Right. <laughs> and they give you ten thousand dollars project that is America you're supposed to solve for America in eight weeks. What yeah. a bunch of kids learning computer science, right? Yeah. So learned a lot, had a lot of fun, did a lot of good work with great strong leaders in the neighborhood, co-founded a resident association in Inglewood that's still going strong, still serve on the board there, did a number of projects that uh, got some policy change done, built power. Um, but I look up and it, it's still not adding up. And it, it literally took me literally working in philanthropy at the Chicago Community Trust, running a citywide tech initiative where my job is to basically shake down companies like Microsoft and these like other tech companies for money so Chicago can invest in digital inclusion in our city. Um, and all of the contradictions of the way we were doing things were just like, like just bearing down on me, where I was saying things I didn't believe, adopting uh, program models mm. that I knew wouldn't work and couldn't actually sustainably solve the problem. And just saw that we were doing a lot of uh, what one of my mentors says is palliative care mm -hmm. for black and brown people in the hood, yeah. which is mm -hmm. just making this oppression more palatable. We're going to give you some anesthesia and kind of mm -hmm. make the pain a little less, yeah. ha have a little less bite. Yeah. And so quit that job after six months. Uh, and while working on my own uh, kind of technology, uh, community technology startup, uh, uh, teaching young people computer science and, and, and web development. Um, I was doing a lot of reading in econ and happened upon uh, what I later learned was the heterodox um, kind of approach to economics, which was uh, rethinking all of the assumptions that are embedded of the kind of neoclassical standard yeah. approach to economics that is taught in nearly like probably 99% of all, uh, I guess, college, grad schools, and even high school economics courses. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where the, that's where, uh, the kind of re-engagement happened. So I know that's a long answer, but it was literally nothing was adding up. And by that point I was like every bit of 30 <laughs> and it was like, there's gotta <laughs> be a better way. Um, I, and, but yeah. Javon, I love what I'm so glad that you walked us through that. Cause actually, um, it's, it explains a lot. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm just um, I'm really curious about this detour that you took in religion and especially thinking about belief systems. So like if we think about money as a belief as, as part of our belief system, we think, okay, we own it and we spend it. We have a clip, you know, that we were, we were uh, talking about from the wire, you know, this quote about man, money ain't got no owners, only spenders. Right. And you talk a lot about like public, money as like money as a public good where I, like I think that's a real pushback on our current beliefs like say more about how money is a public good like it's in my wallet right now like isn't it mine so you know the way I got introduced to that concept is it's crazy I was on a plane flying to a um uh, a retreat uh, that was being held in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, and it was this group uh, called Brand New Congress and Justice Democrats. And they were recruiting people to run for Congress. This is what, uh, early 2017. And uh, there was, we wanted to discuss this plan to just uh, take over our government, right? Reclaim our government uh, and invest in our country uh, and really provide that high quality of life, that high standard of living that I was aspiring to. And everything I was reading on this flight uh, was was amazing. And so we're in this library in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Cory Bush is there, right? Mm. <laughs> Alexander Ocasio-Cortez is there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Shoy Khan is there. Zach Exley's there, waving his hands vigorously, uh, <laughs> saying, yeah. 
you know? Um, and I'm asking like, okay, how do we pay for all this stuff? Where's the money going to come from? And Zach literally was like, it's not about the money. It's about, do we have the resources and the human and natural resources and capacity to get this stuff done? That's the question, right? The question isn't, this idea of like is and i'm getting to the question here because this is it, it, it's coming at this whole question from a different perspective it's not starting with the money it's starting what the money provides right so mm. if we can get these things done if we can have a rapid transition to renewable sustainable energy if we can provide universal health care and excellent highest quality universal early primary care and education, right if we can do this in our society it's a question of one deciding that we want to do it and two, using money <laughs> to resource that work. And so what does that mean? Money is public. All money is public. There is no such thing as private money. And what do I mean by that? Money is a thing that our government creates to mobilize resources, natural, human, and otherwise, to get things done for our society. Mm. And what does that mean? It means doing things for the members of society. And in some cases, that's providing public schools or a postal system or, I don't know, a military, right? Things like that, right, um, that the government does directly. Also, things like donuts and haircuts, right, which the government doesn't provide, right, um, that, you know, private citizens and, and, and business entities, non-government entities provide those uh, types of services. So money is simply a tool to mobilize resources, and it is created by government. And all money is created by our government, either directly through treasury spending or indirectly through bank lending. The money comes from our government. Private banks create money through lending. It's not Solana's savings account that's financing Jeremy's mortgage. That's not the way it works. I don't know that's the way it's taught, but that's not the way it works. It's literally a bank deciding that Solana is credit worthy enough for us to expand the money supply so she can buy a house for her family. Right? I'm sorry. No. Jeremy is credit worthy because Solana already got her house, so she got all the savings, right? So Jeremy is credit worthy enough, right, <laughs> to, to for us to expand the money supply, money supply so he can buy this home for his family, right? So what does that mean? When banks aren't lending to black folks and women and people of color, yeah. it means yeah. that we are not benefiting from the expansion of the money supply, which means our money supply is almost staying stagnant. And we can see that's why we have actually slipped behind. We're like behind where we were in the 90s, right? And so I know I'm all over the place here, but again, all money is created by government. It is rightly understood a public good. It is something our government creates for our society. We have to see it as such. Otherwise, uh, we're going to be just confused as we uh, try to solve a range of problems that we have to solve. So, so you're telling me Jamie Dimon doesn't create our money? Absolutely not. not. We the not people, <clears throat> yes, we the people through our government, delegate the authority for Jamie Dimon to create money. Got it. So, like, help, let's let's break that down a little bit, like, how it happens, right? Like, so the government creates the money. Somehow it gets to me and Solana, to you, even to Jamie Dimon. Somehow it gets out to us. Like, how, do, does, how does that work? Like, how right, does that so happen? We've all heard of uh, the Federal Reserve, you know, back when I was coming up in high school, it was like Alan Greenspan. I was taught in high school. Right. He's the most powerful man in the country. Alan, Alan Greenspan, right? Yeah. But the Federal Reserve um, is America's uh, uh, bank. I mean, literally, like, oh, public banking. It is the original is, public this bank. This is Hamilton, right? right? This is like, you know, the dancing, and then, you know, this is the creation of the yeah. of the public, central bank. They, right? talk, they talked yeah. about everything, but the, anyway, we'll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the songs are catchy as hell, but it's like, oh, the history is it's just terrible. It's just awful. But, yeah. uh, but, um, well, so, so we have a central bank that creates uh, our money, right? So even when our federal government, you know, during uh, COVID, during the pandemic, we just like invented trillions of dollars out of thin air. Yeah. And that do money you mean like we're from... actually like create, like when you say creating money, we're like printing it, right? We're like, do, 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 or we're turning the crane. No, no. Oh, no, it's not even print. Like, so we hear, we hear people saying printing money, right? It's actually just the, the, the proper verb is creating, right? Because it's literally, um, it's, it's, it's not printed, right? It's literally created. It's, it's the Federal Reserve 
who's like literally kind of managing the entire ledger, right? Like they hit enter. They hit enter on the keyboard and it like creates the money. Type in some zeros, one, zero, 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 done, Uh right? And so uh, the Federal Reserve, um, you know, creates money and, and the treasury. And again, I, listen, I don't, know the technical so this is this is why I, I love having this conversation i just recently understood money is public right like i i'm, I'm still yeah. trying to get my head around what that means uh the next like level of analysis is because we have to know this y'all if we intend to right. be in government if we intend right. to you know the, the thing is you, you know that uh scene from um i know y'all like pop culture references right uh but uh <laughs> But uh, you know that scene in Batman: The Dark Knight where the Joker says, "I'm like a car, a, a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I caught it." Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just yeah, explaining. Yeah. He's just running yeah. around. Yeah. I think similarly, I think it's incumbent upon us who do not feel currently that we have any power in government, have no that government is not accountable to us. That it's up to us to really do our research and our homework to understand how our government works particularly in the way that it creates money and how that whole system operates, because mm-hmm. once in power, we got to know what to do. Right. Right. So I think the next level of analysis that I'm looking at is, okay, who is, where is the computer? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Somebody's type, like, how does that work? And who says what? And, and how does that happen? Right. Um, but, but just generally speaking, all money originates at the federal reserve, right? Some of the money goes to the treasury and that's public spending. Right. And like, most like, of the money goes like to the private for, banking system. For like yeah. public benefits. When it goes to right. church, it's like, you know, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Defense, right. Section 8, all this. And then the other goes to banks to lend, right? Yes, that's right. And, and, and generally speaking, yeah, it's like those two buckets, right? So everything starts at the Fed and it either goes into the private banking system, the financial system, or to the uh, U.S. Treasury. I mean, I mean, generally speaking, those are the two big buckets that yeah. it falls into. And one thing that I'm excited about PolicyLink is that, you know, we're throwing down on the Treasury stuff. We've been in that world for a long time. Right. Increasingly, we're going to be throwing down on the vast majority of dollars. Yeah, what's the created, difference? Like, what's the like, in, what's the difference in the amount of money that goes out in, in those two ways? It's like nine to one. Uh, nine to one. It's, nine it's, to one it's, to the banks. Yes, to the bank. Majority of the money in circulation majority of money being created is uh, financial sector. So think about that. This is why equity and lending matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why regulation of private banks matters. This is why creation of public banks with the right rule sets <laughs> matter, mm-hmm. right? Um, this so what is are why these banks doing with all this money? Like what when they, when they get the money, then what if they say, okay, now you can buy a house and I'm going to loan you this money? Like, what do they do with the money? Well, look what happened during the pandemic. We had record unemployment and astronomical growth in the stock market. Right? So, uh, you know, what, one person who I read, Bob Hockett has this great book, Robert Hockett, uh, Money from Nothing. Uh, the mm-hmm. title is, is I think, will turn almost everybody off, particularly black folks. Because it's like, we, black folks is like, what you talking about? Money from <laughs> nothing. From nothing? Say, I almost fell out Nobody. with my father yeah. um, talking about money and where it comes from. And this is a military guy, right? And yeah. all they do in the military is manage budgets, right? Believe, I, believe right. it or not, they actually have a whole finance court that's like saying, we're spending too much, you know? Like, we don't have enough money to keep running <laughs> right. these drills. Like, they have those right. covered, which boggles my mind, right? Uh, yeah. And, um, but uh, but he, he literally said, you know, COVID really showed how inefficient and how, how poor and how bad of a job these private banks do, particularly these large, hyper-consolidated conglomerate banks do mm-hmm. in getting money out into our society, right? So they're basically getting free money from the government, and then they they they, they get um they get a they get um interest income off of lending it out, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Generally speaking, I know that's not somebody was going to say, oh, you didn't explain that right, but y'all know what I'm saying, right? It's it's you have the authority to lend out, to create money by lending, and you can exercise a tax on that loan. So you're getting profit off right. of 
doing public work. It's very and they loan they loan to everybody, right? They loan to individuals, but they also yeah. loan to institutions, and they also loan yeah. to like cities and states. And okay, right, right. And the but they get is, to decide who they loan yeah. to. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, that's the and thing. It's all like, about, you, yeah. So this nine to one is like one. The one is being allocated through a democratic process. Like you may right. not may like it or not, but like people get elected, they run for Congress, the Congress appropriates the money, the administration that we vote for disperses the money. That's the that's one. The one dollar. And we that's have that's the one dollar. Yeah. Right. The nine dollars. The nine dollars is a bunch of bankers deciding <laughs> Right. What cities they loan to, what people they loan to, what businesses they loan to, what like like that, that's the nine. So that's the scenario. Like nine of our, you know, the nine to one scenario is like most of the money, a vast majority of money, is going out and distributed by people that are not democratically accountable to anybody. Mm-hmm. That's right. And haven't really and... had a really great track record with people of right. color. No, yes. There's some banking, yeah. Yeah, there's so, like a Fair Lending Act and all that that was supposed to address that, right? Yeah. And, and what's interesting here is, I mean, you're exactly right about accountability, right? Um, it, it's wild because not only are they not accountable, they're increasingly all based in like, what, Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Mm. Or, or New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um it, we're precisely in the same situation that the farmers in uh, North Dakota found themselves in when they created the public bank of North Dakota, wall street was not the New York banks were not lending to farmers in North Dakota. Mm. So they created their own public bank. Mm-hmm. And, and guess what? That public bank, and it's, a, it's an amazing history. Uh, that public bank uh, is who States or the, the state, the counties and the cities and the municipalities borrow from to build schools. Mm-hmm. That public bank is who North Dakota students borrow their student loan, get their student loans from. That public bank got PPP money out to people um, like very efficiently, right? Because right. it was accountable and was designed for the people of North Dakota. Uh, that public bank enabled North Dakota to actually have an increase in the employment rate, <laughs> right? Mm. During COVID. Right. Um, meanwhile, the rest of us out here with these like Bank of America, Chase, and I'm naming names. You can edit them out because no, what we're trying to do is be very fuck about them dudes. No, no, right? yeah. fuck them. We're out here <laughs> with these big banks and you just know yeah. who they are, who they have these local branches, but they're not they don't give a, a no. rats behind about, uh, no. you know, localities. And so they're here just chasing the, the, the highest dollar and highest return. Yeah. And unfortunately, we have this terrible situation where even America's largest banks don't even want to invest here anymore. Right. Yeah. And we actually have the entire our entire economy, the direction of our entire economy is being dictated by the decisions of what is and is not short term profitable to J.P. Morgan. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and it just makes Goldman Sachs. Right. And it just absolutely makes no sense. Now, again, and, and, and again, you know, part of getting our heads around this is first seeing the bigger picture. And I think you're right. Money is public. Money is a public good. There is no such thing as private money. Pull it out and look at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has the United States iconography all over it. Right. It is literally try to replicate it, make a copy of it. Oh. And you, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Don't pay your taxes and they come in for their money. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's my money, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, right. Don't pay your student but, loans. Listen, so y'all, why, I tried. They will come for it, you know? But Demar, yeah. why do we, like, why do we stand for these banks being in the middle of our government and our money? Like, why... Why? Why? Right, why and especially, especially we as Black and Brown people, who basically, so you're saying all public money's money is coming out. To her point, you, you're like we're standing for this. When when they get it, they won't lend any money to us. They when they do lend money to us, they say, well, you can only do it and live in these neighborhoods and run these type of businesses, 
or you can only, you know, ha- get a loan to go to these types of schools. Like they, they, there's all these strings attached to it when it comes comes to us. Like, why are we why should we stand for this? Because it seems like, you know, if it's all money's public, it seems like government funded discrimination when they allow it to play out that way. Absolutely. Government enabled um, extraction and getting cut out of the uh, of our economy. Like literally, it's <laughs> um, and I think this is issue number one. You know, they always and I think we we would have, I think, been successful if folks campaign in, in black districts talking about this and not mm. just uh, mm-hmm. uh, and not only criminal justice reform. Right. Like, I, th- I think it's criminal justice reform. Yes. And <laughs> mm-hmm. this conversation right here, which is. This is how we can get cut into our economy. This is actually how we create a new economy, an equitable economy, right? And it's a, it's a fundamentally a question of power. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I get excited about Libgen because y'all are having this conversation, and um, I, I, I I love it. Well, I want I want to dig into that question about power um, because you know, we're, we're, we're in this situation and we just, you know, we just heard a clip of like these reams of this, like politician after politician talking about the deficit and the debt. And like, we can't afford these things creating this, you know, using our kind of narrow understanding of how money works when like you earn it and you spend it. And then using that as a way to create this kind of scarcity narrative that tells us Mm -hmm. that we can't have the things that we need like yes, we sh- it'd be nice to have universal health care, but we just can't afford it. Like, and what I would love to hear you talk a bit about is like how those narratives—they're false—but how they drive this situation, mm. how they drive this kind of cycle of oppression, where in the end it's like if we can't afford everything then it becomes a justification for why black people don't have health care why black people don't have housing why you know why we can't let immigrant people into our country like it becomes this narrative that drives all the racist right. shit that we see in our country just love you to hear you talk a bit about that right no so i know solana mentioned uh, economics as a belief system right mm-hmm. um and, and and how that resonated uh, with her and I, and i it resonates with me because it's this idea that we have to, uh, what was it, Pago, uh, mm-hmm. when, when the Democrats oh, uh, yeah. took over the House uh, in, in 2018. Yeah, that's a, just for issue. people know, people yeah. in the pod know, that's like a, a congressional rule that was created that basically you can't create new spending unless you pay for it through some either budget cut or increase in tax. Yeah. That's right. Pago. Go ahead. And so, and, and the fact that this was like, uh, a top line issue for Democrats <laughs> as they took over the, the House of Representatives in 2018. Mind you, mind you, and just to let you know how far we've come uh, to, to your question, uh, Jeremy, this whole way of understanding the national debt, deficit spending, PAYGO, et cetera, is all part of a, of a rhetorical and ideological project to constrain our government's ability to get things done for us. Mm. This is about falsely asserting and, and, and literally enforcing an oppressive narrative of scarcity, mm. picking and choosing literally a rule, not a law, a rule to rob Peter to pay Paul. Like who, mm. like, right. like I came up saying that's a terrible way to conduct your affairs is to rob Peter to pay Paul. That's not a way you do it. You should find a better way, but that's the rule that we've set, you know? Um, but this is all a far right-wing mindset and worldview that was sold to the American public by the likes of Ronald Reagan and later Bill Clinton mm. and later George W. Bush and mm-hmm. later Barack Obama, right? right? Definitely Donald Trump and a little bit of Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden. And, <laughs> You know, and and a whole bunch of Democrats. Right. And so, so before let's just park that real quick. Let's land that. We are operating Democrats in the U.S. Unsurprisingly, are operating off of a far right wing mm-hmm. worldview uh, when it comes to economics. Uh, 
Ah. And there is no path to liberation from a racist, far right wing economic worldview. <laughs> right. Period. Right. Full stop. So, so when Full I stop. hear when I hear someone say we can't afford this, what you're saying is you don't want black people to be healthy. You don't want That's black exactly people right. to have health care. You don't want black people to have this. You don't want black because the reality is we can do all that stuff. America has always been able to afford what it decides to do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it. And and, you know, what I learned at New Consensus, uh, a think tank that I co-founded, um, was that this idea of afford is just the ability to accomplish. That's like literally what the word means. Can we accomplish uh. it? And so this is why, back to religion in the Bible, and this is why it took me forever to finish my master's in religion. I can't tell you where it says it, but I know the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Think about that. Mm. The love of money, the idolatry of this thing that humans create to get things done in our society, holding that thing up as the ends of all earth and the ends of human existence. And this is the thing that we organize our whole society around no it's just a tool to Mm. get things done and so when you trap (laughs) an entire federal budget of the most powerful institution on the face of this earth the u.s government on no new money unless you cut a tax or you know um uh uh you raise taxes or cut spending and you're just moving limited finite dollars around that, that, that is how you really hamstring a very powerful institution. And think about it. They never say there's not enough money to give a tax cut. We can come to this. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the same thing, y'all. A $2 billion tax cut is the same exact thing as $2 billion in spending. Spending, okay. yeah. Now, I know it doesn't sound like it is, but think about that. If it doesn't sound like that's not the same, if it doesn't sound the same, it's because we have this moral idea of, the tax cut is giving motherfuckers their money back. Right. And two billion is giving right. motherfuckers who don't deserve no money, right. money. But that's not what's going on right now. That's, yeah. that's literally not, that's not the way to think it. That's yeah. actually, that's a moral frame that right. has been sold to us that ain't true. What they say, it ain't necessarily so, you know? That's not the way, it's, from a budgetary perspective and from an accounting perspective, it's the exact same things. The question then becomes, which one gets the most done in our society? Does a tax cut to the richest families, a $2 billion, uh, $2 trillion tax cut to the richest families, does that get things done in our economy? Or does $2 trillion of additional spending to build highways, bridges, provide health care, better schools, does that get things done? That's that's actually the analysis. What gets the most done for the American people? And if you do it the wrong way, you jack up your economy. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. But Hmm. can't we do both, though? Can't we tax folks with a lot of wealth and we can invest Absolutely. Yes. But those two are two different things. Yes. And you don't need one to do the other. Yeah. Yeah. What we're doing is uh, we are uh, relaunching our equitable economy portfolio uh, around this fundamental concept. PolicyLink has always had its hands in economic policy, state, local, federal. Right. And so we are relaunching and revising and actually deepening the equitable economy portfolio around these insights, leveraging our experience and relationships and existing insights uh, and just going harder on these, uh, on these matters. So mm-hmm. economic policy, state, local, federal, key emphasis on federal, because it is simply unfair to, to set up a situation where local organizers, local actors, local advocates and local policymakers have to solve for bad federal policy on the ground. Mm -hmm. That's absurd. Federal government must be a partner in building equitable communities and growing an equitable economy. And federal government has a huge role to play in that work and is simply unfair, illogical to force the conversation just be a local matter or a state matter. So we're excited. That's what we're doing with the equitable economy portfolio. Um, uh, Stay tuned. Yeah, can't wait to follow along. Well, thanks to mom for joining us, man. Thanks for uh, imparting this wisdom about money on us. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing you in the future, man. Peace. Yeah. All right. Call us. Thanks so much. Bye. Yo, banker, cash me out, yo. Boy, you want to hit on that body, you best hop too.
That's my money. Man, money ain't got no owners. Only spenders. One, Demond's dope, but two, I, I, you know, I'm not as ruthless, but I try to live my life by the philosophy of Omar. And what we know, like he said, it, it is exactly what DeMar said. Ain't no owners, just spenders. Nobody owns this money. We all own it, right? No one owns yeah. it directly. And what, what really captured me in this conversation with, with DeMond is that we should be able to dictate how the money is distributed throughout our economy. And what's happening is today, in that nine, that $1 to $9 ratio just blows my mind. That $9 okay. is going out into the to circulation. And the people that are determining how it's distributed are bankers who have demonstrated no love ever no. for black people, for immigrant people, for indigenous people, and actually have built profit-driven yeah. business models to extract resources from those people. And that that's who we're entrusting to distribute the money. And then only a dollar goes out through the way in which we have some democratic say in, right. which is the democrat, you know, the 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 other way through the Congress. And I just I, I really want to put a fine point on this. When we are out in the streets, when we go to our city hall, when we go to any public meeting and we are saying you need to distribute our Recovery Act dollars equitably and you need to distribute our uh, American Rescue Plan dollars equitably, we are talking about one dollar. (laughs) <laughs> to nine dollars every time you say go fix my potholes go like i want new street lights we are talking about fighting over that one dollar yep and i love what demand was saying is that if this this nation and this government is powerful if we are if we are that dog chasing that car we need to know just how powerful our government is and our collective ability to govern and decide and distribute the money. We have we, we know that the that the banks have no love, no cares, none. no fucks, none, no fucks for, none. for black and they brown people. None. <laughs> and it's only our government that has had to say, look, y'all, come on, we're going to have this community reinvestment act. You got you to gotta lend to some black folks. You got to lend to some people of color. Come on, fair lending. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So how about we just stop trying to regulate those banks, that $9 that's in circulation, and just say, like, hey, it's our money. We don't actually need y'all. Well, and, and like, either way, we can either – actually, the, the beauty of it is, is that it's the money is created by the government – and through both avenues, whether it's the one dollar or the nine, one, the government has the ability to change the ratio. Right. They can send more money out. They could. It could be five to five. It could be seven to 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 to, to three. Right. It, it, they could choose to do that, and they could also tell the banks, "This is what you're going to do with our money." Mm-hmm. You're going to start lending to some black folks. <laughs> you're going to start investing in neighborhoods through the cities. To provide that the um, streetlights, basic community services yeah. to people, they can actually do that. It's just as Demond said, our government chooses not to, and they choose not to because our politicians, and he named a bunch of them, Democrats and Republicans, have chosen to prioritize the needs of those those bankers mm-hmm. than over over our lives. And, you know, we've seen this, like, even in the recovery act. So I've been around, I mentioned it before, I've been through, I've been alive for these wars. I've been alive for for two, just as a professional, government bailouts of banks. Yeah. Once, because of the mortgage crisis. And again here, because of COVID. That was a yeah. government providing resources, no strings attached, to banks 
so that they could so that they could continue to make profit at the same time telling uh folks that like well you know we'd like you to have some child care but you know we just can't really afford it because you know we got to pay some mysterious debt in the future that as demand said is just a bunch of bullshit that's yeah and it's absolutely a myth there are several myths that just hold us captive one is that well the money's not in our control Two, that the banks know how to use it more efficiently and effectively. That right. is not that is not right. necessarily true. And as a matter of not fact, when they when they say when they're doing their risk evaluation, they say, Oh, it's too right. risky to build that affordable housing. I can't Stockton, I can't give you money or these are Detroit, the dudes that I almost crashed the economy in two thousand and eight. We're supposed to believe that they know best. So there are a whole lot of myths that we are carrying around that enables this system to work and i think for the listeners we have to start doing an assessment of ourselves how are we being held captive by our money myths um how can we support each other in reclaiming our economic imagination like what would it look like if the banks didn't control nine dollars that were going into our communities and our states and our and our governments um and we have to understand that this is by design. And if we actually are in the driver's seat of this really powerful economy, we better know exactly where the money resides because that's how we get all of the things that we actually need. Healthcare, housing, jobs. All so I things. think this was I, I am I am I am so excited about exploring and uncovering all the money myths that, that folks are, are holding. Yeah. Till next time, y'all. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our list of episode resources and visit us at liberationandagenerationaction.org. Shout out to our producer, Jacob Bronstein, audio editor, Nino Fernandez, communications director, me, Kendra Bozar, the design team at TrimTab, and the whole squad at LibGen Action. Like what you heard? Help us make some noise by telling two friends about the Racism is Profitable podcast. Until next time, y'all, peace.